The Sean S. Show is a podcast about the interesting and ever-changing world of American politics. And this show's number one goal is to get more people politically engaged and educated on political matters. I'm very happy to see the work that we've done here on this show to get it to where it is this season. And I'm so glad and excited for all the great things ahead. But in order for us to achieve this goal, we need more people to start listening to the Ishanash show. So if you could do this podcast a favor and share this episode and all your other favorite episodes with your friends or family, or share our social medias and go follow them yourselves, then this show would be grateful. Of course, we couldn't have gotten this far without your support. So thank you. And the great episode that we have planned for you starts right now. Welcome back. Election Day in America. Republican and Democrat voters across the country headed to the polls this past Tuesday to vote in primaries across the country, setting the stage for some of the most heated races for this year's midterms. We'll talk about who won, what was surprising, the upsets, and the races yet to be called today, May 20th, 2022. From Ishan Media, this is The Ishan S Show, a podcast about the interesting and ever-changing world of American politics, all from the perspective of a 15-year-old. With me, your host, Ishan. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to The Ishan S Show. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I know I sound a little bit off today, just that since the last time we talked, I traveled a bit, and I ended up getting a bit of a cold, which is never fun. With with me, they the cold will last a couple of days, uh, but at, you know, at most, but they ruin my voice, and they make me sound super nasally. And that usually lasts for a good amount of time. So I'll suggest, uh, I'll make a suggestion that you guys, you know, kind of just get used to this version of my voice for the next couple of episodes. (laughs) But anyway, we have a big set of stories awaiting us today. But before we get to uh, get on to that, let's take a look at some of the top headlines of this week. A gunman in Buffalo, New York, motivated by white supremacist and hateful ideology, opened fire in a supermarket and shot and killed 10 people and injured three people in a predominantly black area. 11 of the people in, in 11 of the people of the 13 in the attack were black. And authorities said that the gunman was motivated by hatred and racist ideology. In a statement, New York Governor Kathy Hochul said, quote, we'll be aggressive in our pursuit of anyone who subscribes to the ideals professed by other white supremacists and how there is a feeding frenzy on social media platforms where hate festers more hate, end quote. The gunman, an 18-year-old white man, was arrested and faces charges in court. 
Congress, in a mostly bipartisan fashion, passed a $40 billion aid package to Ukraine in a vote of 86 to 11. President Biden will sign the package into law from South Korea in order to expedite the delivery of this crucial aid to the Ukrainian people. The bill will get flown to President Biden, who is actually in Asia right now. He left just um, Thursday, which is today. We're recording on Thursday. Um, But yeah, he left for Asia. So they're just going to fly the bill to him so that he can sign it there. Uh, But this legislation will provide military and humanitarian aid to the Ukrainian people to assist their national security forces, as well as public health resources for Ukrainian refugees. In some more Ukrainian war news, Finland and Sweden broke one of their most important foreign policy doctrines, one of their most long-standing ones, by formally submitting their applications to join NATO, which, as you all know from previous episodes on this show, is the chief alliance of Western countries that is combating uh, Russia in this war right now and continued Russian aggression. President Biden endorsed the plan after meeting with Swedish Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson and Finnish President Sauli Ninister. <laughs> um, the pronunciations aren't always easy. Uh, that does go to show just the magnitude of this truly seismic war on the global stage and, its impa- and the impact that it's left on geopolitics. Russia has toned back its condemnation and said, we're okay. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But they did warn NATO against setting any military op- operations in these country, uh, countries. Uh, we'll see how that goes. The House January 6th committee is continuing its investigation uh, of the events of that day. And in a new development, the Justice Department is asking the committee for some of the information that they've obtained through their probe. Some of, the pro- some of this probably includes transcripts, depositions, that sort of thing. And they've not completely commented on how that's going to happen or what's going to happen. But if I'm not wrong, Representative Adam Kinzinger, Kinzinger he's a Republican from Illinois, who was just on, um, uh, who was on TV the other day. He did say that they're not going to turn in all of the documents, but they are working with the Justice Department to share as many as they can. And in more January 6th committee news, uh, the committee does expect to hold their public hearings starting in June. This is major because if they don't do this stuff in June, start, at least start this stuff in June, then they'll never, very likely run out of time before the midterms and they're never going to get to do it. Uh, Republicans have made it clear that if they get control of the House, they will get rid of the committee if they gain control of the House. Um, and that's why I think seeing the urgency for them, they've decided to start all of these public hearings now so that they can beat time and try to get out whatever they can um, through the much-awaited report that they also said they would send. We'll keep an eye out for that stuff in, the, uh, in, in our summer months. And uh, speaking of midterms, see my transition there? <laughs> Let's talk about... Uh, the primary elections that we've um, the primary elections that we've been seeing across the country this week and really for the month of May. So 
when you break it down, there's no real way I can talk about these races without going in depth into each individual race. So for the sake of an overarching theme for the, for, for the episode or topic, we're talking about two things. The power of the Trump endorsement and the types of candidates we're seeing run. And for today's thing, I won't cover every race. I'll cover some of the more notable ones that are going to be contentious in November. And I know that I have a lot of listeners, you know, across all the great 50 states. So if your state voted in a primary recently and I didn't cover it today, I do apologize. But anyway, let's get on to those elections. So let's start off with West Virginia. Now, I know some of my politi more politically knowledgeable friends are rolling their eyes and might be shouting, hey, I thought you were talking about more notable races, Ishan. And I get it. West Virginia is a Republican stronghold. Like, nothing gets more Republican in this country than West Virginia does. It's not even that we're talking about Joe Manchin or anything, the miracle Democrat in this state. Uh, no, we're talking about West Virginia House Congressional District Number 2. Doesn't sound like a really big deal, does it? It is a big deal, though. In this race, we saw two uh, members of Congress, Representatives Alexander Mooney and Representative David McKinley, face off against each other after their districts were redrawn, um, uh, redrawn to be get together. This is because... West Virginia, according to the 2020 U.S. Census, lost people, uh, lost, uh, you know, its population declined, the state of West Virginia, and therefore West Virginia also lost one of its congressional seats. So these two representatives kind of got unlucky, um, and they, the West Virginia Redistricting Commission, um, they redrew their districts to be together, and the state had initially had three seats in Congress. So the I can't I cannot remember the name of the third representative right now, but that third representative is probably very happy that they did not they did not have to get caught up in all of this hot water. But these two representatives kind of got unlucky, Mooney and McKinley, um, because they were pitted against each other. This um. This, this race that we're talking about in West Virginia is a prime example of the story of the Trump endorsement. Let's think about it. I've talked about it before on this show. The Trump endorsement is very important in Republican politics. Now, it's, you know, you'd think it would wane after President Trump left the White House, but not really. That Trump endorsement has become even more important now that President Trump is gone. And it's it's so interesting to see how Republican candidates are just trying to get that endorsement from the president because it is so monumental and it can shift tides in many Republican primaries across the country. So um, I, I talked about how um, generally if you're a Republican and you get that Trump endorsement, most people are betting on you to win the primary at least. Because President Trump resonates so much with so many Republican voters, it's a very coveted endorsement. So let's talk about the West Virginia race. Let's get back to that. So Representative Mooney is your traditional conservative MAGA type of Republican, whereas Representative McKinley is the more establishment fellow who also voted for the Biden infrastructure plan. Guess who got the Trump endorsement? 
So uh, Representative McKinley did not get that endorsement. Instead, Representative Mooney got President Trump's support. And so these two faced off in this district against each other. It's not like it was game over for McKinley, though, because he had some powerful state-level endorsers in Senator Joe Manchin, who's a Democrat, and Governor Jim Justice, who was a Democrat and then switched to the GOP. Both of these um, officials in the state are very important and very influential in politics. So he did not lack support. He had some good guns for his race, but in a Republican primary, you're not beating Donald Trump, uh, who is, of course, a very important figure in the GOP. West Virginia is one of those really interesting states, though, because, you know, I just talked about those two Democrats. At least one of them is a Democrat. One of them is an ex-Democrat who endorsed McKinley. West Virginia is one of those really interesting states that has shifted rapidly in just in just decades from one side of the political spectrum as a Democrat stronghold to becoming a state in which either nearly every county was for Trump or I believe all of them may have actually voted for Trump. It's it's one of those anomalies that you just you don't know how how that happens so quickly. And West Virginia is just one of those really interesting cases So um, anyway, on Election Day, Representative Mooney beat uh, Representative McKinley, and it it, it wasn't wasn't a very fun night for Representative McKinley, let's just say that. Uh, According to the New York Times, Representative Alexander Mooney got 54.2% of the Republican primary vote, and David McKinley ended up getting... 35.6% 35.6% of the vote. So this race is an example of the Trump endorsement working in GOP politics. Okay, but the Republican Party is not just West Virginia. Why don't we take a little trip up north and let's take a look at Ohio's primary elections. Those, uh, those happened, I believe, earlier this month on May 5th. That's right. So here in Ohio, we had a bit of an interesting an interesting primary setup on both sides of the aisle. So let's talk about the Democrats first. So in de- um, for uh, Democrats, they had um, a Senate primary there as well as the governor primary. And so for the Democratic primary for Senate, we had Representative Tim Ryan as our front runner. And so and he was against two other people, but really. Tim Ryan, I think, had it in the bag from the beginning. Tim Ryan, if you recognize this name, you might either recognize him from the House because he's one of those more popular members of the the House of Representatives, um, on the Democrat side at least. But you might also recognize him because he ran for president uh, back in 2019. He was pretty unremarkable when he ran for president, though. Uh, But he did leave a mark, and of course, when you are running for president, it's a good profile booster, and it helped him in um, in the Democratic Party caucus in the House. He he got a lot of attention. So when he announced his candidacy, it it made sense. Um, it was one of those logical moves where I was like, okay, this guy ran for or when he this guy ran for president, I can take him seriously if he's running for Senate. Uh, he has experience. He's served in the House. So I was not all that surprised when I heard he was running. 
So on May 5th in that primary there in Ohio, Representative Tim Ryan got 69.7% of the vote and won every single county. Um, and, you know, when you're a front runner, that makes sense. Uh, Tim Ryan is one of those more centrist Democrats. Um, so he's he's very big on compromise. He's big on other things like that. He's been criticized for a few of his positions within the Democratic Party, mainly from the liberal wing. But for the most part, Tim Ryan, I think, is one of those strong candidates. I don't know how likely it is that he's going to win in Ohio because, look, Ohio's landscape is changing. It's not changing as rapidly as West Virginia has, of course, but it's changing, and Ohio is is it's leaning no not even leaning it is a republican state um it has a lot of republican voters it's voted for republicans well uh, in the last two elections which it's a republican leaning state so representative ryan's fortunes i think are going to really depend on his opponent and so in the republican side of the senate primary we had jd vance uh, and he was against, J.D. Vance was against Josh Mandel and Matt Dolan. These were the top three candidates. So this primary was a lot closer. And so, and, and so J.D. Vance ended up, winning, um, winning, ended up winning this primary. We'll talk about J.D. in a second. But he, uh, J.D. Vance won with 32.2% of the vote. Josh Mandel won with or lost with twenty three point nine, and Matt Dolan lost with twenty three point three percent of the vote. So, JD Vance's margin of victory was pretty big, but the actual numbers were not that impressive for that type of Republican primary. So, JD Vance was the Trump endorsed candidate here, and so you saw that sort of success here for JD Vance. But JD Vance, you should know has said some interesting things about Donald Trump, such as when President Trump was running for president in 2016. J.D. Vance did not have the best things to say about Trump. I can't remember them right now, but I'm sure you can find those things on YouTube. But, you know, he said these interesting things about Donald Trump. So it was really surprising for a lot of people when President Trump issued that endorse, uh, issued that endorsement People were like, wait, what? You actually went with the guy that said all these things about you? Um, so it was very uncharacter for Donald Trump. But I think President Trump must have seen some winning qualities in, in Mr. Vance. So um, that's why. So that's why I think Tim Ryan might have one of those better fortunes because J.D. Vance, yes, he was able to flip around the Trump and flip around on his um, policy beliefs and ideals to get that Trump endorsement. But he also comes out of bru- out of this bruised GOP primary. You have to think about exactly how successful one can be in an election, even if you're in like a Republican stronghold such as Ohio. And Tim Ryan is a well-recognized name already. He has the name recognition in his state and even across the country. So that really gives him a, a fundraising advantage. So, so we'll be covering this race because when you have a 50-50 Senate, 
every seat counts. And so this is going to be at the top of my list. Sometime in the future, I'm going to make an episode about I'm going to make an episode about some key races that I'm watching. Stay tuned for that. So that was a look at some of the past elections of this past month. Uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about some of the major elections, some of the major races and candidates from this past Tuesday. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this short, short break. All right, we're back from our break. So before we left, we talked about some key primaries in West Virginia and talked about Ohio elections that happened earlier this month. Now, if you weren't paying attention, um, this past Tuesday, which was May 17th, we had some more primary elections. And actually, it was like a big Super Tuesday-style primary election in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Oregon, Idaho, and Kentucky. But uh, for the for the purposes of today's episode, there were two key states that I really want to look at because there were a lot of interesting and notable candidates from um, the states of Pennsylvania and North Carolina. I don't want to discount Oregon and Idaho and Kentucky. It's just Oregon is a reliably Democrat state. Idaho and Kentucky, reliably Republican. So when you see candidates making those types of inroads, it's kind of similar to West Virginia. I wanted to give the West Virginia example because it seemed interesting, um, and, and, and it's the same story. But for Pennsylvania and North Carolina, it's a little different. As you know, Pennsylvania and North Carolina are two swing states in, 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 in terms of our elections. And if you don't know what a swing state is, a, is, a swing state is basically a state that really shifts between Republican and Democrats uh, very frequently. Now, North Carolina isn't necessarily a swing state. It's kind of coming to that status. It's kind of like Georgia in that way, where it's a Republican stronghold right now, but it's slowly shifting to two Democrats, um, or at least kind of starting to vote in favor of Democrats. I believe they have a Democrat governor right now, whereas Pennsylvania is a traditional swing state. So let's talk about Pennsylvania and North Carolina, because here in these two states, they are going to be very important in deciding the composition of the Senate. As I talked about before the break, these two states, um, and not just these two, any state where any shift happens this November, it's going to redefine the composition of the U.S. Senate, because right now it's a 50-50 Senate, 50 Republicans and 50 Democrats, and one vice president, Kamala Harris, to break the tie for the Democrats. So right now, that's the only reason they're in the majority. The moment we see one Republican win just one of those seats, the Democrat seats, the Democrats have lost their majority because then it becomes 51-49. In terms of control, there will be more Republicans in the Senate than there are Democrats. So they lose their majority. That's why watching all these Senate races are so crucial and primary, are are so crucial and important. Uh, too many words in the brain. And some people will ask me, they'll be like, Ishan, why, okay, I get that, you know, you need to watch these Senate races. Why do I have to care about the primary? 
You have to care about the primary because these are the candidates. You are trying to decide the candidate who is going to be on the ballot in November. It doesn't matter if you're looking at a primary election or a general election. This person, one of those people, will be in the U.S. Senate one day. And, and, and so you need to pay attention to all these elections. But particularly for this type of climate that we're in, A, we're super divided. B, we have a 50-50 Senate. C, having control of the Senate kind of entails all kinds of unpredictable things right now. It's more important than ever to keep an eye on these types of races. So on that note, let's, well, let's move into Pennsylvania. Let's, let's take a look at Pennsylvania. So in Pennsylvania, incumbent Senator Pat Toomey announced, I believe in 2020 or in 2021, that he'll be reti- he would be retiring from the Senate. One thing to look at is that Pat Toomey is a Republican, but he's not the MAGA Republican. And re- the Republican Party is the MAGA Party. So I think Pat Toomey probably did not find a place in the, his party. And he, I believe, said something on the lines uh, that of something like he couldn't necessarily work in the Republican Party as a senator anymore. So that's why he decided to retire. The, when you look at it logically, though, electorally speaking, I don't think he was going to make it past a Republican primary if he was not pro-Trump. Anyway, with this retirement, you have a vacancy for 2022. A lot of people threw their hat into the rink. We'll first look at the Democrats, because right now the Democrats have a better chance, I, in my view, of taking this seat. And I think it is. it was rated as, by CNN as the most likely to flip in the entire country, this Senate seat. So it's the most likely to flip party, which is always a great asset for any party. So in our Democratic primary, we had three candidates, John Fetterman, Connor Lamb, and Malcolm Kenyatta. Malcolm Kenyatta did not win a lot, so like we can count him out. He um, got 10 points, uh, they got 10.6%. Connor Lamp is a well-known, very centrist House Democrat caucus member. He's very well-known for his moderate policies and for his moderate politics. So Connor Lamb launched his primary campaign for Senate after John Fetterman, the, lib- the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, announced his. John Fetterman is a very progressive liberal candidate who supported both of um, Bernie Sanders' pre- presidential runs. So when Connor Lamb announced his candidacy, it, it became this moderates versus liberal thing. And so this past weekend, um, they, they spent a lot of money uh, th- not this past weekend. Uh, they spent a lot of money in this um, in this race, and so when it concluded this Tuesday, Connor Lamb uh, ended up coming in second place with twenty six point three percent, and Lieutenant Governor Fetterman got fifty eight point nine percent of the vote. But that's not all. Just days before the primary election, I think the Friday before the primary election. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman suffered from a stroke and had to be hospitalized. Thankfully, he is fine, and he received the treatments that he needed. And on the day of the primary, he got, he was getting a pacemaker put in. But he's fine. He's on a full recovery. Uh, and he is the Democratic nominee for U.S. Senate for Pennsylvania. Now let's look at John Fetterman as a candidate. So John Fetterman is a particularly strong candidate, in my view. 
I'll be honest, I did not expect John Fetterman to get 60% of the primary vote in Pennsylvania. I thought Pennsylvania Democrats were a little more moderate than this. So it was very shocking. Either Connor Lamb ran a very poor campaign, which in retrospect he might have, but even then he only got about 26.3%, basically 25% of of the vote. Whereas John Fetterman here is getting 60% of the vote as a very, you know, left-leaning candidate. So it was very fascinating to see just how successful he was. Uh, but yeah, that was the Republic or the Democratic primary. The Republican primary, on the other hand, is a whole other story. Uh, in the opening, you might have heard me say we were going to talk about some races that are yet to be called. This is one of those races that is yet to be called. Right now, it is between the top three candidates are Dr. Mehmet Oz. Dr. Oz. I'm sure that name sounds familiar. <laughs> uh, we have Dave McCormick. He is a hedge fund manager. And Kathy Barnett. Kathy Barnett is a commentator, a political commentator. So... It, initially, um, there was an individual by the name of Sean Parnell who was running for uh, U.S. Senate in the Republican primary, and Sean Parnell got the backing of Donald Trump. But then after some allegations, he lost a custody battle, um, and then reports also then, his wife also then made reports and complaints of domestic abuse in the household. So um, that, that, did not, that, that did not work out well. So that's why Sean Parnell had to drop out of the race. And that's why, and so then Mehmet Oz, I believe, announced his candidate either shortly after that or right before it happened. Mehmet Oz has, Dr., or not Dr. Trump, Donald Trump's endorsement. And you'd think that because of this, Dr. Oz would be shooting stars right now and winning this Brom Nation. No, it, this race is remarkably close. In fact, this race is so close right now, we have 31.2% for Dr. Oz, 31.1% for Dave McCormick, and 24.7% for Kathy Barnett. And you might be wondering, why am I talking about Kathy Barnett? She doesn't sound very, you know, significant if she only got 24.7. You need to understand, Kathy Barnett has spent far less money than David McCormick, Dave McCormick or Dr. Oz but has shot up in popularity in just, I think, even in just a matter of a week before this election. election, She shot up like crazy in popularity. And Kathy Barnett is probably the more MAGA candidate, the more ultra-MAGA candidate. So with this um, election, I think Kathy Barnett was probably taking a lot of votes from Dr. Oz, which which I'm sure in, is why Dr. Oz right now only has a lead of about 1,000 votes. And so because of that, we right now have, do not have this race called yet, so there's not much to be said, uh, although President Trump is suggesting that Dr. Oz declare victory right now. Okay, now on to our governor election and governor primaries in Pennsylvania. So on the Republican side, we had Doug Mastriano, against Lou Barletta and Bill McSwain. So I don't think either of the bottom two candidates were very notable, whereas 
um, rep- uh, uh, Doug, Doug Mastriano was known for being, I think, at least based on the coverage that I've seen, the things I've been reading about him, he seems to be a bit of a weak candidate. And, you know, I know I have Republican listeners who might like Doug Mastriano, but here's what I think. Doug Mastriano is one of those very MAGA Republicans, and I'm not giving my opinions on being a MAGA Republican by any means, but in a state like Pennsylvania, where you have to realize President Biden won with such a narrow a narrow of a majority in that state, and in 2016, Donald Trump won with just, I believe, 70,000 votes. There's a lot of swing state or swing voters and moderate voters in Pennsylvania. So Doug Mastriano is one of those ultra MAGA, ultra right Republicans that you are starting to see rise up in a lot of um, in a lot of Republican primaries now, and I think that might actually turn off some moderate voters. And you also have to think about whose competition is. So on the Democratic side, uh, we have. Josh Shapiro. Josh Shapiro is the attorney general of Pennsylvania, and Josh Shapiro ran uncontested. So, like, he is the Democratic nominee. He was always the Democratic nominee. Tuesday just made it official. So, Doug Mastriano won the Republican primary with forty-three point nine percent of the vote, and he yeah he won with forty-three point nine percent of the vote, which is a good showing in a Republican primary. But when you are an ultra MAGA type of conservative Republican in Pennsylvania. That may be a little iffy, but added on top of that is Josh Shapiro being your opponent. Josh Shapiro is a Democrat who has been successful in Pennsylvania more than most. Um, I believe in he was first elected as attorney general in 2016. This is the year Hillary Clinton lost, and here he won with 3% of the vote, while Donald Trump as I said earlier, only won Pennsylvania with about 70,000 votes. So here you're, and that was less than a percentage point. So here you're seeing that Josh Shapiro is a traditionally more, uh, you know, stronger candidate. Uh, And he also won with very good numbers um, in the 2020 election for re-election to be attorney general. So this guy is a very well-set Democratic candidate. um, And he's objectively a strong candidate. So when you are pitting a stronger candidate against a weak Republican candidate, you have to give it some thought, and you wonder how likely is Doug Mastriano to win. Of course, you can never, ever predict these for sure. There could be, of course, a reality where Doug Mastriano wins. I don't see that happening, but we'll, we'll keep an eye on this race. And then moving on to the North Carolina primaries. Uh, you know, we're running a little long on this episode, but, you know, there was a lot of races, right? <laughs> so North Carolina Senate, uh, they had a Senate primary there. There was nothing big here. Cherry Beasley, former chief justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court. Cherry Beasley, she won the Democratic nomination to be uh, the Democratic nominee to be a sen- uh, candidate for Senate for North Carolina. Uh, she won with 81.1 percent of the vote which is massive in a Democratic primary. Uh, and then her opponent will be Representative Ted Budd, who is a member of the U.S. House. Ted Budd won with 58.6% of the vote, and his main opponents were Pat McCory and Mark Walker. 
but really 60% of the primary vote, it's a big deal. Really, there wasn't a lot of notable stuff from North Carolina, except for one race. I'm sure many of you have heard of Madison Cawthorn. Madison Cawthorn is, uh, if you don't know him, is a freshman Republican representative from North Carolina's 11th congressional district. And this guy had a lot of fire behind him, a firebrand, ultra-Republican, pro-right, pro-Trump candidate. You know, if you think of Doug Mastriano the way I described him, basically this guy, but from North Carolina and younger. So Madison Cawthorn is the youngest member of the House of Representatives at the age of 26. So when he won his Republican primary in 2020, it was a big deal. It was very impressive to see that. So a lot of people thought that Madison Cawthorn had a really bright future ahead of him in the Republican Party. And he was very much loved by, you know, that the Trump wing of the party. So when he decide when he you know announced his intentions to run for re-election everybody's like oh this guy's got it in the bag he's gonna win again that was before we saw all these types of scandals coming out uh, earlier this year we saw a series of scandals come out against madison cawthorn um, um things being leaked about him him saying some weird things there was one thing that he said in a podcast about Republicans. I cannot repeat it on this show, but suffice to say, it was really odd, uh, and it was untrue. This was about Republican Congress people doing, members of Congress doing some weird things, which I can't repeat, as I said. But that wasn't the only thing. Um, He's been facing all kinds of scandals uh, of doing weird acts with friends, wearing women's lingerie, leaked uh, leaked video of him doing some obscene acts. There's a lot of it uh, out there about Madison Cawthorn. Madison Cawthorn said that it was, a, you know, Democrats and establishment Republicans taking things that he did in his 20s um, and using it against him. You know, think what you want to about that. That's up to you. But, uh, you know, looking at what we had presented in front of us, you know, not not the best thing, you know, it's not what you, you don't really want that out there in the public when you're running for office. So this really, really defeated Madison Gawthorne's candidacy. It was apparently a lot of members of Congress, too, many Republican members of Congress, were vouching for Madison Gawthorne to actually not win his, uh, his re-election bid which is not something you hear of. Republican primaries, we're not talking about Democrats right now. Republican primaries for members of Congress are actually one of the easiest points for an election. In a primary, say say you're in a safe Republican district and you have a primary, you are very likely not facing a very tough Republican primary opponent. This new intra-party primary stuff is a very Trump era thing. So this is not very common. So when Madison Cawthorn faced his Republican um, primary opponent, which who was Senator State Senator Chuck Edwards, um, both they were both from the same county. Their bases were in the same county. Many people thought, yeah, this race is going to be close, but Madison Cawthorn is not losing. So and and Madison Cawthorn was also the Trump endorsed candidate. 
But on election day on Tuesday, we were all very surprised, I'm sure, in the political world, when Madison Cawthorn um, called State Senator Edwards to concede the election at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, which is, it was very interesting because nobody saw this coming. He, in fact, Chuck Edwards lost with 33.4%, or won with 33.4% of the vote, and Madison Cawthorn lost with 31.9%, which is very surprising because you have this very popular Republican uh, Republican candidate who is in the House, an incumbent, has the money, has the popularity, has the name recognition, losing. Uh, and that's unheard of. But there were a lot of forces against uh, Madison Cawthorn. As I said... There were members of the House that were already, you know, rooting for his loss. But in addition to that, Republican Senator, um, a Republican Senator, Tom Tillis, I believe, was also out um, to, to uh, I believe, $300,000 from one of his packs was used against Madison Cawthorn. They produced a lot of rival ads against him in support of Chuck Edwards. And so this... I think also may have helped, may have helped, you know, bring down Madison Cawthorn. Chuck Edwards is no different in terms of ideology from Madison Cawthorn, but he's that more acceptable Republican establishment guy. Um, and so that's why I think Chuck Edwards had a better time in this primary than Madison Cawthorn might have. But yeah, anyway. Those were some of the major primary elections that we had this year, uh, or this month, excuse me. We have a lot more in store. And, of course, this is part of our 2022 coverage series. There are going to be more election prediction, analysis, all kinds of stuff in the future. So stay tuned for that. And so that does it for us here today at the Ishan S. Show. If you liked my commentary, then go ahead and follow at Ishan S. Show on Twitter and at the Ishan S. Show on Instagram for breaking news posts and updates about the show. If you want to learn more about political stories, then check out my political news blog on the Ishan S. Show.com and enter in your email to subscribe and just check out the Ishan S. Show.com and do us a favor and share this episode and all other Ishan S. Show content with your friends and family. It is the best way for this show to grow and get more people listening to it. And it helps out so much. Thanks again for all your support and I'll see you guys soon. Bye.